Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Three Roll Estate Craft Rum Distillery, crafting premium rum from their own Louisiana sugarcane, Three Roll is cane to glass. From Tula Tacos and Amigos in downtown Lafayette, we're out to lunch with Christian Mader, publisher and editor of The Current. It's business, Acadiana style. Welcome to Out to Lunch. I'm Christian Mader. Acadiana isn't really known for barbecue. What you get from your Sunday plate lunch joint is what barbecue purists would call grilling. Or better yet, you'll find pork steaks, you know, the baked in sticky syrup of barbecue sauce. And it's not exactly barbecue, but it's delicious. It's sort of weird, frankly, to be purist about barbecue because it's a way of cooking that springs from necessity. And it's become an art form, though, and people spend years mastering it. And you can't have masterful barbecue without a masterful sauce. And that's where regional feuds are born. Uh, Around here, we can stay out of that fight. You can grab whatever sauce suits your palate in Texas smoke, Kansas City sweet. Or if you're reaching for a bottle made by my guest, Chris Leonard, Carolina Vinegar. Chris is a North Carolina native, but moved to Louisiana for a job in the oil industry, and he used his pandemic downtime to bottle up batches of his dad's sauce recipe, a thin, tart marinade and finishing sauce in what they call the the Lexington style. The sauce is taken off among his friends and beyond that, and today Chris sells it at meat markets around Acadiana, and it's even been known to find its way into a crawfish dip. Chris Leonard, welcome to Out to Lunch. Glad to be here. Good morning. Thank you, Christian. Yeah. Uh, so Acadiana doesn't have a dog in the sauce fight, but we've got plenty of dogs looking for a bite of something decadent. Dogs might eat shoes, but they also like a taste of the good life from time to time. And my guest, uh, Jennifer Deku, is here to indulge them. Jennifer is the owner and operator of Chow Bella Dog Bakery, a one-stop shop for canine confections. Rice crispy Cheeks, uh, cake bones, fruit roll-ups, brownies, chicken strips, fries, nuggets, and custom cakes. These are just a few of the treats she makes for your pups, most with fewer than five ingredients and none with salt and sugar. Jennifer Jennifer was born in New Orleans and raised in Lafayette, and you can find Chow Bella most Saturdays at the Monkus Park Farmer's Market. Jennifer Deku, welcome to Out the Lunch. Thank you. Chris, I feel like growing up in Lafayette, like the Carolina style of barbecue wasn't actually all that common, right? And and so in my head, in fact, I could kind of remember fast food chains bringing it in, and it was always mustard-style barbecue. So I'm just sort of curious that when you rolled this out, whether you found that you have to spend much time explaining to people what Carolina barbecue sauce is, or do they actually know, oh, this is what I'm getting myself into? You know, that's a good question. Honestly, it's been kind of a mixed bag. Uh, you know, this is definitely a, a rich food culture, and you do have people that are very knowledgeable about barbecue sauce. So for those who are familiar with the Carolina style, the Carolina region, not much explanation is needed. Uh, but on the flip side, yeah, we would definitely have to help people understand well, vinegar base, what's that all about? Um, why is it so thin? And then more importantly, what do I do with it? Because it doesn't appear and, and feel kind of like your, your typical barbecue sauce. So, yeah, it has been uh, something that we've, we've had to really work on in teaching people. Why? I mean, why is it made with vinegar? Because it seems like every other barbecue sauce has like a kind of a tomato thing, whether it's going to be spicy or salty or whatever. But yep. the Carolina style, it's like, got this very different kind of thing what's the origin of that so uh if you ever go to north carolina you are in pork country 
it's all about hog. Um, in the western part, it's about pork shoulder. In the eastern part of the state, it's about the whole hog. And the folks that were barbecuing these hogs would need a very thin sauce to get into all the little crevices of that pig. So vinegar was the, the perfect solution. And the tartness works really well with, uh, with pulled pork. So that's why you need a thin sauce. Yeah. Uh, so, Jennifer, I'm just reading back over the treats that you're selling, right? Rice Krispies, brownies, chicken strips. That's all people food, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean... Obviously, I'm thinking, like, I have a dog. I love my dog. And I don't know that she really cares what I throw off my table. But so it seems like the market for this really is, like, trying to attract people to it, right? So how are you conceiving of that? Like, you know, going from, well, I think a dog might like a Rice Krispie treat. Like, how, do, how does that idea spring to your head? I don't really know. It, it just comes to me. And I love creating new ideas and new dishes and um, I just think dogs would like anything, kind of. I mean, but luckily I make delicious things that people can eat as well. Yeah. So, yeah, why not share a treat with your dog that you can eat as well? So what's in a Rice Krispie treat for a dog that would not be in a Rice Krispie treat for a person? Um, peanut butter and honey. That sounds like something that a person would eat. It would be it's, delicious, yeah. It is delicious. <laughs> <laughs> it, it really is. Marshmallows are so yesterday. Yeah. Rice Krispie treats. So there are no marshmallows in it, period? No. Okay. No, it's peanut butter. It's organic peanut butter, so there's no salt or sugar. Mm-hmm. And then honey, and it's delicious. And then it's uh, like brown rice puffs, so they can have brown rice. So it's really good. That's what it looks like. Okay. So, I mean, when you're, this is interesting to me because, like, you know, obviously these are products that dogs would eat. I mean, I'm sure all of us can um, think if you've got a dog, right, you got a time in your life where something falls off the table and the dog will eat it. But, but I'm also thinking, like, I'm not supposed to eat dog food. And I mean, like, the kibbles, right? So, like, yeah. When you're making dog treats, <laughs> I guess my question is, like, why give them something that people can eat when it seems like they could eat things that we can't? Like, it seems like it would open up this whole world of, like, I don't know, cheaper food? I mean, wh- what is it about the dog palate that even makes them attracted? I mean, is it? am I just overthinking this? I think you're overthinking it yeah. a little. I, I appreciate that. But um, <laughs> I, I just think sometimes when I started it, I I wanted a place where a dog could get a unique treat that you can't find at PetSmart or anywhere else in town. And you can't find Rice Krispie treats for dogs. They they don't make that. So, but I do, and so it kind of puts me at a level that nobody else is at. Hmm. So, Chris, your your recipe is classic family recipe, right? You Correct. Kind of yeah. From your dad, and mm-hmm. I mean. I think any home cook could probably sympathize with the idea that you take a batch of something and you think, oh, I'll just quadruple this 12 times, 20 times. At some point, though, I mean, the the scale-up is actually quite difficult for maintaining the product. I mean, how did you get it from, you know, the saucepan, right, to where you're batching this thing up enough where you can make 400 bottles and the consistency be about right? That's a great question. So, yeah, we did start out with, you know, one gallon and two gallon batches. And then when we uh, were fortunate enough to work in the LSU food incubator kitchen, 
uh, we would use a 100-gallon kettle. So me and my fiance, Camille, we were really worried about that. So we didn't start out with 100 gallons. We would start out with 15, 30, 60. And then so gradually we had to tweak the recipe a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, for instance, black pepper, right? That one ingredient changed the whole flavor profile if we kept it consistent by just multiplying it by the batch size. Really? And um, yeah, we had a few large batches that we had to, to toss out because nobody would want it. I mean, it was so, the black pepper was so rich in it that it just wouldn't taste good at all. So just trial and error, uh, really to answer your question, is, is how we got it to that point. And uh, that's the largest we've gone is 100 gallons at a time. Um, so I don't know what would happen if we went to a thousand. <laughs> it might get a little crazy after that, huh? Yeah. I mean, so. how do you, um, I guess I'm curious then, like when you're having to conceive of that recipe and you're even thinking about it in terms of like what those proportions are, I mean, is it the sort of thing where you really have to know, well, black pepper doesn't multiply that way? Because I mean, it kind of seems a little counterintuitive. You would just think, all right, well, you double it by a tablespoon. Is it really, but what ingredients tend to, to, so like the peppers, right? So the, the black pepper, of course, um, the, the red pepper flake, too. Um, the brown sugar. Um, and another thing we didn't know is even though we use a, um, it's like a steam kettle, right? Um, and it doesn't necessarily burn the sugars, but it's huge. And sugars and things tend to fall at the bottom. And blending those, even though we have an agitator, is really tough. So we actually have to get in there with like a weed eater sized immersion blender and, and mix things up. So it's, it's also ingredients, but it's processed too, right? Um, but yeah, uh, some ingredients you figure might, uh, they might be overpowering, uh, but others really surprise you. Uh, but I think the recipe uh, is, is very well balanced. Um, we, we have the ability to keep it very consistent uh, regardless of the batch size. So I think we've gotten to a really good point right now. And, um, yeah, our quality control is, is there. So. so Jennifer, I'm kind of going to turn the same question to you. I mean, you're, you're mostly selling at farmers and markets. I mean, is, is, is scale an issue for you right now in terms of, it seems like quality control, I mean, no offense to dogs, but do they really care if it's a little peppery than usual? I don't really know, but I mean, like, how are you managing, okay, going from, well, how many, batches are you having to create you like get to the market each weekend so i normally do like one batch of each like the cookies and stuff like that or two batches so but i do it a batch at a time mm -hmm. but i just make multiple batches mm -hmm. so i think like last year for christmas i made like 18 batches of cookies mm -hmm. <laughs> And that was a lot, but I was able to do it over a course of like a couple of days. So I just, one batch at a time, but multiple batches. Is there anything that dogs don't like? Like things that you've tried where you're like, okay, well, we're going to try this, you know, hot dog spin. And you're like, you know what? Weirdly enough, dogs don't like hot dogs. I mean, it's something that just didn't work. I don't know. Um, nothing so far. Okay. Although mine are picking. So, which is funny, because they can eat anything I make, mm -hmm. but they don't like, like, apples. One of, one of our dogs doesn't like apples, and she'll just spit it out. And 
interesting how some like stuff and some don't. My dog doesn't like apples either. Normally we hear our dogs go crazy. They love it. They listen. They obey. They Chris, behave. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Chris, do you have a dog? I do. Does a he like your barbecue sauce? Huckleberry. <laughs> uh, Huckleberry eats just about anything. I think he would definitely dig into some apples and everything that I'm seeing in that box of yours. Yeah. I think he would eat. So, yeah. it's, I mean, is the barbecue sauce safe for dogs to eat? <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. So he's, I know like dogs can't eat grapes and chocolate and things like that. But. Uh, I don't know, to be honest, but I know my We're dog does lick sauce. a lot We're of barbecue sauce. sauce. We'll make it sauce. Uh, so, yeah, uh, when I'm cleaning out buckets of sauce, uh, yeah, he's, he's known to, to go lick. Oh, the, really? Yeah, so I don't actually feed it to him, but I can't help it sometimes if he goes and gets it himself, you know. So, yeah. So I'm curious to hear a little bit about the, the, the marketing side of this from you, Chris, because, you know, you go down a grocery aisle, and, I mean, there are no shortage of barbecue oh, yeah. sauces out there, yeah. even to the point where I, like, I, I get a little overwhelmed, and I'm buying based on whichever the cheapest one is. I'm just assuming, oh, sure, well, that one's, sure. you know, $4 or whatever. So, I mean, I know you're kind of selling, it looks like, you know, at a lot of meat market kind of places. So I'm assuming the person's already come in as the person might be a more discerning sauce consumer. That but, definitely helps, yeah. So, so, but how are you kind of, like, trying to – stand out in that environment where you know, it seems like lots of people make sauces at home. Yeah, that has been uh, quite the challenge. Uh, we are definitely in the most saturated product category, maybe next to hot sauce, right? So that is tough. I think what definitely helps us out, even though we have a very simple label, the fact that we call out Carolina, have the, the outline of the state on the label, stands out to people who are from Louisiana. If this was back home, we, yeah, we would probably need a relabel. And we're still trying to tweak that. Um, some of the marketing efforts that we do uh, are, you know, we, we really do well with demos, mm-hmm. getting it into people's mouths, you know. Um, once they try it, they see how unique it is, and they usually buy a bottle. Um, we do a lot of education up front with the retailer. Um, we encourage them to do separate displays that feature the product outside of its own aisle. So it's found in multiple places so this actually like in new news you can find this in the barbecue sauce and then there's a marinade section so we kind of double expose it which helps um you know signage wherever we go uh we do a lot of merch you know we give a lot of free merchandise to retailers and things like that um but it's ongoing we're learning as we go i've never owned another product so um, we're just trying things out and see how they work, you know. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Christian Nader. I'm talking with Chris Leonard of Leonard's Carolina Barbecue and Jennifer Deku of Chow Bella Dog Bakery. Jennifer, did you find that you ever had to convince people that they needed a better treat for their dog? I mean, I feel like <laughs> we, there's all kinds of like, there's like, you know, an industry out there for spoiling our pets, right? I mean, I yes. see that. But I mean, but to some extent, I could see people being like, well, I mean, do I really need to give my dog a Rice Krispie treat? Well, they say that, and then they buy it. <laughs> so they're like, I have the most spoiled dog, and we're like, you're perfect for us. Yeah. We love you, yeah. and <laughs> and welcome. Yeah. And, uh, but no, we hear that, and they buy it anyway. Because yeah. nothing I sell is over $6. So okay. it's all like a dollar here, and $2, it's... It's worth it 
for the joy of your pup. Yeah. I mean, is it regulated <laughs> differently? Like, if you go to, I, I, I mean, of course, farmer's markets, I think it's all a little bit different in terms of, like, whether, you know, food regulations come into play. But, I mean, like, if you're making commercial dog food, I mean, are there sta- is there a different standard that you have to meet? I would think so. Yeah. Like, I fall, like, I'm not food, so I don't have to have, like, special, like, all the prep he has to do, I don't have to do because yeah. it's for dogs. Right. So I kind of get the easy way out. Okay. Um, yeah. And farmer's markets, yeah, they're all kind of tricky. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, I haven't been to a place where they're like, no, you sure. can't sell this. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. You, you know, and Chris, it, it strikes me that, you know, you, you talk about the, the, the concept behind Carolina style barbecue sauce is like well you're in pork country and like that's a big part of cuisine in louisiana so i'd actually think that that would do quite well i mean have you found that people you know have have adapted it to like louisiana type dishes not just like well i'm from louisiana i'm gonna roast a hog or whatever but like people who are doing something like you know we found that carolina is the best way to go for a cochon de lait or something like that absolutely we have been so impressed with louisiana uh, folks uh y'all have such an uh in you know, unique styles and, and, and try different things. Um, so y'all have found a tremendous amount of uh, different applications for the sauce. So yeah, Cachon Delay works great. Um, but all the seafood applications that mm-hmm. folks are using it for has been great. So I've seen it used uh, just dabbing it on grilled and raw oysters. Uh, like I said, you could put it in your crawfish dip, right? Um, shrimp, so marinate your shrimp, skewer it and, and grill it. Um, the other day we caught a redfish down in Montague and we just had it, uh, you know, kind of on the half shell and we grilled it five minutes on each side and then glazed it on, on the meat side and it came out awesome. Um, also grilled crabs. Yeah. Um, and then your classics, right? So your briskets, uh, your chicken, chicken wings, chicken breast, um, ribs, of course. But, uh, yeah, so we've learned a lot from the folks here in Louisiana, so it's been great. Jennifer, I mean, before you, you fell into to dog treats, what were you doing before that? I was just a housewife. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> That's a full-time gig. I mean, it sounds like both of you are doing, I mean, because, Chris, you're working too, right? Mm-hmm. You're, still, sure. you're still working. I mean, like, it sounds like, though, that it takes up a lot of extra time. I mean, how do you... It seems like this would like the production manufacturing side of this would be uh, time intensive. I mean, it, it, so I don't have another job. Yeah, this is kind of it. Yeah. and um, we do the farmers market every other Saturday, so um, I kind of plan my days on what I need to make mm-hmm. and how far in advance mm-hmm. I make stuff. So, yeah. yeah, but I have down days, and but how long have has Chris been in the business? Uh, two years now. Yeah, two years. And you? How about you? Uh, four. Awesome. Very cool. How are you balancing that with your full-time job? Working nights and weekends. Um, we're blessed to, to be able to go to the LSU food incubator uh, kitchen on the weekend. So if, if we weren't able to do that, that's been tough. Also relying on um, other companies for the supply chain. So my fiance and I used to deliver every case to every retailer, um, but now we have a distributor. 
Um, the next step, if we ever wanted to move away from manufacturing on our own, um, would be going to a, a co-packer. So another manufacturer that makes other companies' products. Um, or we would build a facility and hire people. So we're kind of feeling things out, see how we grow. Um, but it's been tough to manage it, Christian, to be honest with you. It's uh, just uh, burning the candle at both ends pretty much, you know? Is, is the sauce industry, I mean, of course, outside of you know, big brands and stuff, I and mean, we see lots of kind of like, you know, boutique sauces. Is it mostly people like you who are, you know, got other gigs and they're, you know, just making sauce nights and weekends and trying to figure it out because they just like making sauce? Yeah, I, I think there are a lot of people out there like me. Um, I think it's almost like maybe like the microbrewery scene. Sure. Um, so, yeah, you have your big majors, you know, um, but yeah, a lot of, a lot of small town guys like me make sauce. So um, it does seem that a lot of people move to the co-packing route quicker, uh, quicker, um, just because the manufacturing side of the business is the most labor-intensive. That's tough to do, and it's very expensive to buy the equipment and all that. So, um, yeah, I think there's a lot of guys out there like me. Sure, sure. Yeah. I mean, Jennifer, have you, have you looked into scaling up? I mean, is that on your plan? Like, would you, would you want to see yourself in stores? I mean, there's no shortage of, of course, dog. Uh, retail outlets, I mean, big chains, big boxes, but also, you know, smaller shops. We've had them on the show. I mean, is, is that kind of part of the plan for you? We do have something in the future. Um, it's kind of a secret, okay. but it's big. Okay. And unusual and different, and Lafayette will be amazed and surprised and okay. all, all that, all good, all good. <laughs> all good okay okay i'll <laughs> take just, your word for it we'll it have just, you back on the show <laughs> yeah when it when it happens i'll let you know you're building a, a dog bakery and rocket launching pad aren't you that's what you're going to be oh, figuring no. out how to like send this send these things into space only a handful actually know what <laughs> what's coming ahead yeah possibly the end of the year but yeah more like the beginning of the year so are you at a point now where you're having to, to you know I, I would imagine for a lot of small-scale producers, right, the first batch you make of anything, you're probably going to the grocery store and buying stuff off the, you know, maybe at some point you go to Costco instead of whatever. I mean, are you at a point now where you're having to really think about your supply chain, right, where you're, you're having to like, well, I got to get this bulk sugar at this level and I'm going to have to order it from a special supplier? So I, I no, not really. It's more... <laughs> I'm more into the packaging. Yeah. So. Um, it is delightful packaging, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Um, so a lot of my time and energy and lately has it gone into making sure I have all my packaging for the end of the year. Sure. Whatnot. Holidays coming up just in case the supply chain gets low. I have it already. Mm. So. It sounds Kinda like holidays. Bulk, sure, sure, sure. Bulk uh, saving. Yeah, it, it sounds like holidays would be a, a big time of year. It, yeah, it, people buy a lot of presents for their pets. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, like at Christmas, we'll probably do like um, stockings and stuff like that. Um, for Easter, we usually do Easter baskets filled with all kind of goodies, and and we sell them out, and they're always so fun to make and. Yeah, I try and think of different things each holiday. 
So Valentine's, we do little Valentine packages, a little conversation hearts. For people who <laughs> really love their pets. Yeah. <laughs> like I said. <laughs> that might be problematic. We are for the spoiled dog only. Yes, yes. Targeting the spoiled dogs of Lafayette, Louisiana. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And surrounding areas. <laughs> surrounding areas. With his lots, there's lots yeah, of that. No country dogs. We, you, you probably wouldn't make it. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> only, only city dogs. <laughs> sure, only city dogs need apply. Chris. Yeah. Is 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 sauce a seasonal product? Is barbecue sauce something people yeah. like? You know. Oh, it's, totally. It's Memorial uh, Day, and they're like, I gotta stock up on sauce. I mean, what, yeah. what happens there? So. Uh, you know, it's it's summertime, right? Grilling season is summertime. Now, Louisiana, it's kind of always grilling time. Um, so, like, 4th of July is huge for us. Um, and then football season, right? Everyone's grilling. Um, kids are back in school. College kids are grilling. Um, but then again, we do have consistent sales because people like to grill. People like to smoke stuff all the time, um, especially down here. So, it is seasonal, um, but thank goodness we do have some consistency. Uh, now, Christmas is, is big for us, too. Um, you know, we do try to do some bundling and try to get into care packages and things like that. And, of course, our friends um, like to buy it for their friends and such. So it's it's good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, I guess what you're just trying to do is give somebody something that they like, you know, and, and you know, everybody's going to love a nice bottle of sauce. I will never understand why it is in July that people are like, hey, you know what? I want to go stand around a fire <laughs> outside Good point. Yeah. And, and, and just like let the heat waft over me. But um, it, it's cool to see you guys both finding your ways, right? And, and yeah. finding your market, whether it's people tastes or canine tastes. So uh, Jennifer, Chris, thanks for joining me on Out to Lunch at Katiana. Uh, we enjoyed it. Thank, Thank you, you so much, Christian. My guest today on Out to Lunch at Katiana have been Chris Leonard, creator of Leonard's Carolina Barbecue Sauce and Jennifer Deku, owner of Chow Bella Dog Bakery. We edited this conversation to fit into our time slot here on KRVS, and you can hear our unedited conversation and find out more about Jennifer's treats and Chris's sauce by listening to the Out to Lunch Acadiana podcast. And you can find and subscribe to that podcast on your podcast app and on our website, it's acadiana.com. If you want to know what we all look like, you can find photos from the show on itsacadiana.com and on our Out to Lunch Acadiana social media. These photos were taken by Aster Morgan, and you can find more of Aster's photos at astermorgan.com. Out to Lunch Acadiana is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsacadiana.com and KRBS 88.7 FM. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. Our associate producer is Molly Richard. Our researcher is Leah Erdialis, and today's show was engineered by Dylan Babineau. I'm Christian Mader. I'm editor of the current Lafayette's nonprofit news outlet for stories deeper than the headlines. Head over to thecurrentla.com and sign up for our newsletter. And I'll see you here again next time for more business and conversation on Out to Lunch Acadiana. Bye-bye. Out to Lunch Acadiana is recorded live over lunch at Tula Tacos and Amigos. Tula Tacos and Amigos offers street-style tacos, margaritas, and an open-air courtyard on Jefferson Street in the heart of downtown Lafayette. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can hear Mitchell's music anywhere great jazz is sold or streamed and at MitchellForeman.com.